0: Well, my name is John Culver. I've met some of you. My family and I have been here at Village for about a year. We have loved being a part of the community here, loved being under the teaching, the worship here at, uh, at Village Bible. And uh, I, was, I was asked to, to preach a, a few weeks ago and I said yes. I assumed that was because Tim was going to be on vacation or out of the area, and then he began to tell me of the other elements that were going to be in the service, like the Gospel Choir, and there's a a special mission emphasis after I'm done talking, and I realized it's because Tim knew he couldn't preach in the amount of time that was allotted today. (laughs) So uh, that's why I'm here today. Now, it's to be determined whether or not I can either, but uh, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to really stick to my script today and stay focused on what I have to give time at the end as well. One other thing I get asked a lot, are you one of those Culver's? the Butterburger Custard Culver's, and sadly, I am not. I wish. Uh, Every time we do go in, I don't go there often, but when we do, I pull out my credit card, a driver's license, say, hey, I'm I'm one of the Culver's. Sometimes I've gotten free stuff. Most of the time, they just look at me like, well, isn't that nice? Um, uh, My grandfather passed away. We were actually celebrating his life uh, last weekend, and he would walk into Culver's, and he would do that a lot, and he would go. He'd just pull out his card and say, "I'm, I'm Mr. Culver. And uh, he had kind of an established, distinguished look to him, and often that would that would work for him. But I'm not, and so uh, what you have is just a regular culver here today, uh, but we're glad to be a part of Village and to open God's Word this morning. Would you join me as I pray? And God, I pray uh, for your Word to come through today, and the amount of time uh, that you've sovereignly allowed today. I thank you for the worship this morning. I thank you for our hearts being prepared today. Uh, We are happy, God. We're going to even talk about that, the happiness and joy that we find in you, but it's not circumstantial. It's based on our relationship with you. And God, I thank you for that. Uh, I thank you for a God who loves us and calls us and has given us the privilege of worshiping him today and gathering together as as a body of believers. And God, I pray that it wouldn't be my words that are heard today or communicated, but God, it would be your words that come through And we would walk away today changed because of the power of the gospel at work in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well there have been, well there have been some pretty interesting and intriguing storylines this past year. I found myself especially interested in all the news and attention surrounding the rise of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. In fact, in light of the crypto craze this past year, some are calling 2017 the year ...of the cryptocurrency. Now my guess is that most of you have at least heard of Bitcoin... ...or some other kind of digital currency... ...even if you're not very familiar with what it is or how it works. And to be honest with you, I don't have a firm grasp of it myself... ...but on a very simplistic level... ...Bitcoin is the first digital currency and worldwide payment system... ...that allows for online transactions between individuals... ...to be sent and received quickly and generally securely... All without having to use a centralized bank. My idea, it's kind of like a cheaper and faster way to send a wire transfer. In light of this technology, Bitcoin offers some significant opportunities for for growth and potential, but also some significant risks and opportunities for it to be abused and misused. However, what fascinated me most is how many people have invested in some type of what they call cryptocurrency, because it uses cryptology and an encryption process, how many have invested recently with a vast majority, or at least many, that have no idea what it is or how it works, but are more motivated by a fear of missing out on something that might be huge, along with the fact so many people made massive amounts of money last year on these investments. For instance, I read about one guy who spent $27 on Bitcoin back when it was introduced in 2009. And last year it was worth almost $900,000. A pair of twin brothers have made over $1 billion on cryptocurrencies over the last number of years. And I even have a friend who made tens of thousands on digital currencies and investments into those just last year. In the beginning of 2017, Bitcoin was worth about $950. Jump forward just about nine, ten months later, eleven months into November, and it was worth nine thousand. One month after that, in December, it was worth twenty thousand dollars in just that year. Now it's since fallen back down to I think around eighty-five hundred dollars the last time I checked, but that's still an incredible amount of growth and rise, and it made some people millionaires essentially overnight. I talk about some serious return on investment. Isn't that how we wish all of our investments worked? Little or no work, quick and fast and easy gains, lots of riches, newfound wealth. However, we know, I think, hopefully, obviously, that is not how normal investing tends to work. And I'm in no way suggesting that you go out today and cash in your 401k and invest it all in Bitcoin or some other type of digital currency. Please don't make that your your main takeaway today. Uh, Many feel that that crypto bubble has already burst and like with anything, only time will tell. But I share this example because I believe that many of us find ourselves overwhelmed and stressed thinking about investing and long-range planning. We know investing in our future is important, but it sure seems like a lot of hard work. Uh, We would rather instead just get lucky with something like Bitcoin or play the lottery or simply hide our money under the mattress and hope it's still there when the market crashes. I mean, seriously, how many played the lotto this week and have money in... I'm just kidding, right? We would, though. We can find ourselves feeling that way. I I just want the easy thing. Our small groups just finished studying uh, a, a study called Financial Peace University. Some of you have been through this, and a couple of weeks ago, the focus was on investing. We were encouraged to focus on long-range investing and making sure that we are putting our money to work for us by planning ahead, thinking long-term versus short-term, diligently setting aside part of our income each and every month, and patiently waiting for our investment to produce a solid return years down the road. Well, today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that deals with a much more important type of investing. The investment of riches that God has so graciously and generously given us to steward. We aren't looking at our own personal return on investment, but instead, what is God's return on investment with what he has so generously and graciously shared with us? We're in the final week of a nine-week series that we've been calling In God We trust. Each week we looked at why God is trustworthy and how we can honor Him by being wise stewards of our time, our money, our energy, our abilities, our stuff. I know that some of you are probably ready to be done talking about money and get back into our study in Acts, but I'm going to encourage you to stick with me one more week because I believe God has something for our hearts to hear today as we turn our focus to one of Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bibles right now, I'd encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. We'll start with verse verse 14. If you don't have your own Bible with you, you can find a pew Bible and I'll give you the pages right there. Pages 830 is where we'll start today. So read along with me, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, "'Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more.' His master said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master.' And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, "'Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more.' His master said to him, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little.' I will set over you much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who, I'm sorry, and he who had the, uh, 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 who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what you have what is yours. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are over 30 parables recorded in the Gospels. Parables are short stories that Jesus shared that help to illustrate a key point. Or a big idea. However, the the challenge with parables is that at times we can read too much into them or become distracted with side issues or we can forget that Jesus was telling this story to a specific group of people at a specific time for a specific purpose. As always, as we know here, context is important. Jesus tells this particular parable right after his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Fittingly, that we're covering this parable today. And just three days before he would be crucified. Jesus has just spent time explaining that the kingdom of God is near and that the people should have a sense of waiting, anticipation, and readiness for the coming kingdom. He reminds his followers that no one knows the day or hour that the Son of Man will come and return, but they need to be ready in this parable we see that a big part of the preparation is by trusting God, by stewarding well the resources he has provided, and understanding that the kingdom of God is both now and to come. Theologians have a way to describe this by, maybe you've heard this, the already, not yet. We're already living in the kingdom, aspects of the living, uh, of, of the kingdom, but the full manifestation, the full expression of God's glory as we will see revealed in his kingdom is still to come. So, in a sense, we live in a little bit of like a tension between two worlds. And yet, what we need to understand is in this tension, we are not living in a holding pattern. Here, some people say, Well, I'm just I'm just getting through this life, you know, so I can get onto real life heaven. Now, real life is heaven, but so is now. This is eternity present. There is an eternity future as well. The kingdom of God is both now and to come. What we do now, friends, echoes in eternity. It matters. What we do now. Has an impact, So I want to draw just three things out from this parable today and then end with a question today. Try to keep it simple and moving, but hopefully to see what God's heart for us is today. And you can follow along in your outlines if you would like. The first thing we see here is that God invests riches and resources, resources and riches in us for kingdom growth. Don't miss this here. That God makes a significant investment into us. In this story, the master is represented, Jesus is represented by the master, and, and we are the servants and the people. So as we follow along, keep that in mind. Here we see the master made a significant investment of riches into his servants. Uh, Jesus' disciples and followers would have heard this story, and right away they would have understood. This was a huge amount of money, this was not some small investment of like, hey, here's a few dollars, I'm going to be gone for a little while, good luck with that, I hope it works out for you. A talent was a weight of measure that would have equaled around 20 years worth of wages back then. That's a significant amount. In our day and age, if we take even just the median income across the country, I think I heard it said a few weeks ago, it was 50,000, I believe it's double in Sugar Grove, so let's be conservative, 50,000, we're talking about one talent being worth about a million dollars. A half a lifetime worth of wages, if we consider that most people's working ages are are 20 to 60. So one million for the low, two million, five million, double those, potentially a large amount of money. But whose money was it? The master's. It was a significant investment of the master, but it was all his money and his resources. You see, we work for the master, not for our own selfish purposes we've been talking about that throughout this nine week series this idea that we are stewards not owners don't miss that we are here to steward and manage what god has given us it's for his purposes not for us the money that is given to the servants is not their own the money they earn with the capital is not theirs to keep the servants are only stewards then of the master's investment and it's the quality of their stewardship that he seeks to measure What we have been given by God is to be invested, reinvested back into the kingdom. It's not ours to keep however we want. Our primary focus then is on building the kingdom both now and to come. second thing we see there is that we're only expected to invest what we have been given. Not only are we to steward what's not already ours to begin with that's been loaned, but we're only expected, catch this, we're only expected to invest what we've been given. God isn't asking us to use resources we don't have. He's given us everything that we need. We spend far too much time imagining what we could do, if you're like me at least, what we could do if I had more. If I had more, God, I could do so much more for you. When God has given us everything that we need now. We need to stop comparing ourselves to others, imagining what we could do, if only we had been more, and begin to focus on investing what God has given us, you see, the master is not just interested in the return, or he would have given everything to serve to the first servant, right? You see that? Instead, he spread things out. He's entrusting his affairs, uh, he's entrusting his estate, so that they are involved in his in his affairs. Don't miss this. This is not primarily just about what kind of return God's going to get on your ret- your your uh, return on his investment. This is primarily about his relationship. He's investing. Into you. He wants to help these servants develop them as people. He's just as concerned about their character development as he is about the return that's produced. And we often reverse that. We get so focused on what I get done, what I can accomplish, what I can do for God, that we forget that God wants us to be like him, in relationship with him, in his presence. He does expect the return, and there will be an accounting, but the master is primarily in, in, interested in what kind of person that these servants demonstrate themselves to be. You know, it struck me this week as I was thinking on this and trying to wrap my mind around that because I'm a doer, like probably many of you. I want to get things done. I want a list, I want to check it off, I want to have a goal, I want to go after something. I want to get things accomplished. And it struck me as I think about God's kingdom, kingdom growth and the advancement of the kingdom is just as much about our own personal growth, sanctification, and holiness God's interested in us. He's invested into us. It has more to do with our faithfulness than it has to do with our accomplishments. Tied right to that is the third point under, under point one is we are not all given an equal investment. This point makes us all, if we're honest, a little bit uncomfortable. There's a little overlooked phrase there in verse 15 that says each were given according to his ability. You see, the master understood that the one-talent servant was not as capable of producing as much as the five-talent servant. And right away, we want to protest this as unfair. Wait, Wait, God's equal. Everything's supposed to be fair. Yet we know from our own lives and from our own experiences that this is true. Diversity is woven into the fabric of creation, isn't it? Not everything is equal all the time. But even though that we're not created and equal in regard to the talents that we're given... There is equality found in this parable. It comes from the fact that it takes just as much work for the five talent servant and the two talent servant to produce double their amount. You catch that? One was given five, one was given two. Both had to work just as hard for the same amount of time to double their investment and in their return. This is why the reward given by the master is the same for both servants one and two. The master measures success by degrees of effort not amount of return. And some of you need to hear that today because some of you are struggling with, I haven't been giving in as much and you're comparing to somebody else and you're thinking it's not fair and what am I going to do and I might as well just not even try that whole hide it under the mattress kind of thing. And God's saying, I've given you exactly what you can handle, exactly what I want you to invest. Now go and be faithful with that. Just as the master expected his servants to do more than passively preserve what he had been entrusted to them, so God expects each one of us here today to work hard and to generate a return using the talents that he has given. And we've been discussing this for for weeks, the different talents God has entrusted into us to produce the return that he expects. We've all been given enough to produce more, just like the servants. We've all been given enough to produce more. God expects us to work hard and put forth effort. And he makes this investment based on his relationship with us. Don't miss that. This is, again, primarily about a relationship. God has entrusted us with significant resources. There's no person in here that God hasn't given significant time, money, energy, abilities, skills, resources, and stuff that he wants you to use for his kingdom. And some of us need to pause today and even just express gratitude for God, towards God, for what he has so graciously, as we even heard today, what he has blessed us with. We are a blessed people. If you're sitting here today, you are blessed. And I'm not saying that you don't have struggles, and there aren't trials, and there aren't things and distractions and difficulties in your life. But God has blessed you, and he wants us to work hard to steward well the gifts that he has given us for the advancement of his kingdom. And, and, and don't miss this, too. it's not just about money. We, we like to use money as our primary example of the resources God gives us. And he does, and he wants to use that, and Scripture's full of it. But it's just as much about those other areas of our time, our abilities, our insights, our wisdom, our other giftings that God wants us to use to make a return on that investment. Because it's not just about how hard we work. The second point here that we see is that this investment requires a response But not just a response as we see in working hard by some, he requires a response, don't miss this, from the heart. Because again, if we're talking primarily about a relationship, then the response that God's looking from us must come from within us and from our hearts, not just an outward behavior change that puts a little bit more effort into getting a task list list done or producing more. You see, a response by each servant is expected and it is required by the master and it reveals ultimately don't miss this it reveals the condition of their heart you see we all know intuitively that actions speak louder than what words right you know that I can, actions speak louder than words and here we see two very different heart responses by these by these servants that reveal more about their hearts than anything else we see one response that's motivated out of love and obedience And we see another response that's motivated out of an apathetic heart. See, the first two servants, the scripture says, went at once and worked hard to invest the talents that they had been given. There was no time to waste. This probably has something to do with the fact that they were given more of an investment than servant number three. There was no time to waste. There was a sense of urgency. They went right to work. No procrastination. No sitting around thinking, well, maybe I should do something right away at once they began to make a return on their investment and they invested their resources in a worthy manner. But it did. It required hard work. It required effort. It required diligence. And we're to do the same thing with our talents today in order to glorify God, to serve the common good, to serve those within this body and in the community that God has put us into and ultimately to further his kingdom both here and now and in the future see, biblical success is working diligently in the here and now to use the gifts and resources that God has blessed each and every one of, of, of us with to produce the return expected by our Master, our Lord, and King, Jesus Christ. So what do our actions tell us? What do the actions of these servants tell us? Well, I think the first two, I believe it shows that they, ha- that they were faithful to the Master, And ultimately that their hearts are filled with love and trust. That whole idea of thing They trusted the master. Their actions evidenced trust in him and a desire to serve him well and invest his resources wisely. I believe they loved him. They loved him and they trusted him. And they ultimately valued their relationship with him. They saw what he was doing towards them as an act of trust, empowerment, trust. His confidence was infused into them. However, servant number three, we see that he responds in an extremely different way, doesn't he? He responds with an apathetic heart. He simply buries what he has been given. He had the same amount of time as the other two servants, a long amount of time, but chose to do nothing. And I tried to think, you know, try to put myself in his mind. Not trying to read too much into this, but you start to speculate. You know, was he ticked off because he'd only be given a small fraction in his mind or less than what the other servants had been given? He watched the others get five and the next guy get two and then he's handed one and right away he's gone, pff, pff, yeah, I figured, of course. And some of us have been there. We've gotten less than somebody else and you know what's in your heart, what's revealed right away. A sense of injustice and this isn't fair. Maybe he was bitter Or held a grudge against the master from something from the past. Maybe he was afraid and not confident in his own abilities that he would lose it or that he would be punished if he didn't handle his investment well. Or maybe he was simply unmotivated because it wasn't his to begin with. Whatever. It's not mine. Doesn't matter what I do with it. I'm working for somebody else who's going to benefit. How's this going to work out for me? He could have done so many other things with the money and the resources he was given, but he did catch this. He did nothing. As I reflected on my own heart this week and I thought through my response to what God has given me, I find far too often that my own response can be apathy as well. Apathy towards God, apathy towards the resources and possessions and things and stuff that God has given me, or the abilities He's given me. I can find myself apathetic in the relationships around me. Catch myself that something doesn't go, but whatever. Whatever. That's fine. Yeah, I'll do whatever. What does that mean? I'm not happy. I'm annoyed, and now I'm withdrawing and pulling back. I, I can do that in relationship with my wife, my kids, and others. Fine. Yeah, whatever. Whatever does not mean whatever, okay? We know that. You know what the opposite of love is? It's not hate, is it? Hate still has emotion. There's still something there. There's something burning in me. The opposite of love is what? Apathy. Whatever. And that's what we see here in servant number three and I think we have to check our own hearts that as we think about what God has given us to invest in his kingdom, be careful that your heart is filled, is not filled with apathy, but rather is overflowing with love. Is your heart filled with love or apathy towards God? Do you tend to respond in faithfulness and obedience or do you tend to respond with apathy? I I don't think it takes... Much longer than a few minutes of reflecting on how you spend your time, your money, and how your heart heart responds to what God's calling you to do or a conviction of His Word, to know that if you're prone to be loving in that response, or like me at times, apathetic. But as I thought of this, I tried to go a little bit deeper practically and I thought, okay, if if our response is is about love and it's about not apathy, then, then I think it really comes down to whether or not we see God as a taker or a giver. I first heard John Piper use this in a a different passage and it really stuck with me. Do I see God as a taker or a giver? And I think this helps us to know whether or not responding with love or with apathy. If I see God as a taker, then I... And God's out to take what he has from me. I, he, he's, he's out to get it. And I, I've got to hold closely and hoard what I have because I don't know when I'm going to lose it. It might run out or he might punish me for some reason and he'll remove that from me and it's just kind of there and at any time it could be taken away, those resources are going to run out. And so, you know what, I'm, I'm going to kind of hold pretty tightly to that. I'm, I'm not going to hold loose to my stuff because I don't know when my stuff's going to be gone. Does that make sense? As opposed to if you see God as a giver. You see, God, that he is inexhaustible in his resources and riches. There's no end to what he has. He gives and 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 and there's no limit to that. And I know that I can't outgive God because he's the giver of all good things, similar to how I want to give good gifts to my wife, to my children, to the people I love, I want to continue to bless. Is God a giver or a taker to you? Do you see him as you see the face of God, as you picture him in his response to me, to you? Do you see God as a giver or taker? Practically, I was trying to wrestle with what does that look like? Because that sounds good, like I want to be filled with love, I don't want to be apathetic, I want to see God as a giver, not as a taker, but like practically what does that look like? And, and I hesitate at times to give like practical examples, on, on especially when it's related to like our, our resources and money, because I fear that people walk out, at least I know I do in, in sermons at times, and thinking that's what I have to do. So don't hear that as I just mentioned a few broader things, don't hear that, but I I think we need to flesh it out a little bit because I don't want it to just be theory, like yeah we've been talking about all these things, I know I'm supposed to invest well and I I don't really know what that looks like. But what struck me in terms of what does it look like to respond in love and to see God as a giver is first and foremost it comes down to my investment into my relationship with Jesus. Because right away my mind goes, I need to do more. What more can I do? How can I accomplish more for God? And I have to pause, and God's been doing this in my life the past year, slow down and realize I need to invest into my time with Jesus, into that relationship, because it's primarily about a relationship, and understand his love and grace for me, and how pleased he is with me, and how much he loves me. And it's out of that, the overflow of that, that I can begin to hold loosely to my possessions. I can start to dream big. I can start to have passions and then fund them. I can start to think about, boy, opening up my home or letting somebody borrow my car or inviting them into my home or investing into my neighbors or sharing the gospel at work or whatever else God is calling me to do. And I think even for students today, it doesn't matter what age you are, to dream big and to believe, I don't have to sit on the sidelines. God wants to use me, but that has to come out of an overflow of understanding how much He loves me and how He's invested personally into His relationship with me. I've got some good friends, a couple that has a heart for clean water, and so they've invested their own money and time and energy and resources and training and missions trips to be able to take clean water to people in need. And I love that. It's because, though, they love Jesus. One of my own kids has got an entrepreneurial spirit, and she began making these heating packs to sell them, and a portion of those proceeds go to be able to buy chickens for kids in Africa. Man, I wasn't thinking about that when I was a kid. But that's because Jesus, Jesus is real to her. And, and we can think of so many other examples of where we're willing to slow down and hear the, hear the voice of God and understand his love for us. And we've talked about those over these last weeks. We've studied them. We've heard them. There's so many ways for us to realize that God wants us to express that love to him and to others. It involves serving in the community, getting involved in serving in this church, investing back in tangible ways because of what has been invested to you. And I'm not suggesting you do all this stuff or you, you go crazy and you try to accomplish everything. No, you're just right back in the same process. But ask God, God, what do you want me to do? How can I use what you've uniquely gifted and blessed me with to make an impact on the kingdom? We need to start holding our time and stuff much more loosely and begin sharing what God has loaned us. So not only do we see that God has invested riches and resources of many kinds for us to use for the kingdom growth... And we've seen that this is a response. The response that that we have to have that's required is a response from the heart, either of love or apathy. Finally, how does the story end? Well, the master returns and he does hold them accountable. And we see here today that there will be a review and reckoning for each person. There will be a time of reckoning, a day of reckoning. There will be a review for each one of us. You know, the servants were given plenty of time. Verse 19 says that now after a long time, the master returned. This was not some short time frame with unrealistic expectations for what they could produce. There was time to start a business, make mistakes, lose money, be creative, take risks. Plenty of time. But now, the master has returned. He wasn't unreasonable. He had invested in them. He wants them to be successful. But now he's come back and ready to review and hold them accountable for what they've done. And I think right away we fear accountability. Accountability. We fear reviews because it's like I'm going to get in trouble, right? Somebody's going to tell me all the bad things that I've done. But think about your own life. We tend to review what we value, don't we? Why are we doing a study on money? Because our money's important to us and we spend time reviewing it. I bet you spend a lot of time the last few weeks reviewing your money. You value relationships with your children, your spouse. Your relationships at work with what you do. We understand sports, whatever it may be, students in school. You get reviewed on things because we review What's valuable? Well, God's investment into us is valuable. It's important and significant, and he's going to review that with us. We don't have to fear it. It's not a threat. I don't say that or see this from Scripture as, oh, you better watch out because he's coming to get you and you better be ready. But rather, it's an opportunity to be prepared for that time and to please him. Some will be rewarded and some will be rebuked. It's as simple as that. And we see this in, in, in this passage today. Some will be rewarded. Servants one and two receive the same reward for their hard work and effort. They heard, well, gone, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. They each received rewards and blessings. They shared in the returns. We see that even later on, the one who had received five, who doubled it to ten, even gets, gets one more from, from the servant that didn't invest well. They were fully cared for and given more responsibility and privileges. Their effort was rewarded. Their character was affirmed. They had full relationship with the master. More and more resources. Approval of the master. Joined with his happiness. Sharing in his joy. Full restored relationship. And what strikes me here is that their faith and trust in God is validated. It wasn't their hard work that made them in a right relationship with God. God did that. It was their work and effort that validated their love for Him. It expressed it. It showed it. It isn't what saved them, it's what validated their open and honest and true and genuine faith in the Master. I was also struck by the phrase faithful over little. Did you catch that? I don't know. The, when I think about little, I don't think like a million, two million, five million. Did you catch that? You've been faithful over little. The guy had 5 to $10 million in our, in our... That was a little. And you know what hit me? What does God want to do but I think so small? I'm so caught thinking I don't have much. If I had more, just this little bit. And God's saying, I want to blow it up. I want to do more than you can possibly imagine. Students, parents, wherever you are, this church, I want to do more but you're thinking so small. That really caused me to review some of my perspective on things... Because in what God wants to do dream big we're just scratching the surface here with much of how we're handling what God has given us but even though we're not I'm sorry oh, wrong note. but remember it wasn't just about the ROI there wasn't just about, a, about finding a huge amount on the return on investment because, because I look at this and I think some of you would even say like that's great he doubles investment I could do better really? that long time and all he did was double it? come on You know, Ramsey's been teaching us it can be way more than double down the road. All right? No, no, no. It's not about the amount, right? The primary focus is on the relationship. They understood that the master trusted them when we're anxious to please him. They expressed genuine faith that was motivated out of love. They trusted the master. Were empowered by his confidence in them. They were rewarded because of their obedience. Yet, sadly, not all of us will be rewarded. Some of us, some of us, even in this room today, potentially, some of us will be rebuked. During that time and that review, instead of hearing well done, good and faithful servant, we will hear a rebuke. If you're like me, you've probably been reviewed, had an annual review in the past. I've had a number of them in my life. Most of the time they go well. Generally, an annual review to me is not a time to find out everything you did wrong. Hopefully, you have a good manager that's giving you hints along the way and giving you time to improve. But I remember one particular review that I had in the past where I went in I had killed it. I knew it. I had just done a tremendous job. Accomplished a lot, worked hard, absorbed other people's positions. I was ready for my reward. And I went into that review and you know what I got? I got a rebuke. It was painful and it was, it was humbling. And in that moment, I had realized there were some, some blind spots some character issues, some ways I had been much more truthful and not enough, enough loving in relationships. And I was humbled in that way. And I wonder if a little bit that's what we're having here with, with servant number three. I don't know what he expected. He couldn't have had high expectations based on what he did, but I don't know what he expected going into that review, but it didn't go as he expected. And by the way, just a word to the wise, it never is a good idea to start a review with your boss by insul- insulting him and making false claims. I don't know if you noticed there, he says, you're a hard man and, and you're exploiting other people and you're trying to take advantage of others. It never, It never goes well. See, this... This servant got a response of worthless and lazy, slothful. Why was it such a harsh response, an appropriately harsh response? Because of the way the servant handled the investment of his response and his response to the master. He didn't trust the master. He didn't understand the master's heart for him. There wasn't a relationship built on love and trust. And so in that moment, he used excuses and shifted the blame. When the master returns, the the servant basically says, Culver paraphrase, I know what a jerk you are making people do your work for you and I was afraid that if I screwed up you'd punish me because that's how you are. So here's your money that you gave me. But the master calls him out on that excuse. He says, if you were so afraid of me, the very least you could have done was put my money on deposit in the bank, which back then would have been discouraged because it would have been seen as exploiting others. He said, the least you could have done is, is, is exploit others if you think I was exploiting you. But you didn't even do that. Instead, despite me, you didn't put the slightest thought or work or use what I'd given me, given you. Instead, you just buried it. What a waste of time and life. You see, the master dealt harshly with the with the servant and commanded that he be cast into the darkness where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's hell. To be honest. And, and the question is so the did the, the servant lose his salvation? Was he saved? No, it's the wrong question. The servant never had salvation. He thought he possessed faith, but he really never understood. He was never truly converted. He never really was in a right relationship with the master. And in that moment, he understood his rebuke had far reaching implications and costs. And I wonder if some of us here today are going to be, resp- be surprised in that review as well, thinking that we were, oh God will be happy with this, my stuff. And in that moment be rebuked because He'll say, I never knew you. I mean, there is a heaven, there is a hell. Heaven is fully in the presence of Jesus. Hell is the worst part of hell. Do you know what that is? It's the absence of Jesus. That's the worst part, is Jesus will not be there. And what we do now makes a difference in that process of accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In fact, number three's talent was taken away and given to the one who had ten. Not only did he he lose, he lost it. It was given away and invested with someone who would do a better job. Don't miss this. The unfaithful servant in this parable didn't so much as waste the master's money. He wasted an opportunity. As a result, he was judged wicked and lazy. We are responsible for what we do with God's resources and one day each of us will be held responsible. As I finish, I just close with this question. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Just a moment. Dave's going to come and give us a missions focus today. Another opportunity to even think through... Investing what God has given us. But I don't want us to leave without that. Do you know that Jesus is coming soon? Are you prepared for his return? And here's the question. Are your actions evidencing that? Because we know that actions speak louder than words. Are your actions evidencing that you believe that Jesus is coming back soon? And he's taking us with us. Do you understand that your eternal investments have a much higher ROI return on investment than your earthly ones? By all means, plan for your retirement. By all means, give it everything you have, but are you spending just as much time focusing on eternal treasure that won't corrupt, that won't fade away, that won't rust as you are your earthly possessions? Am I focused as much on on what God's kingdom and the building of that is? I am my own diversification of my portfolio. I mean, that that was convicting to me today. And finally, end with this thought. While work and hard work and effort are required, and we see that in this passage, it is not just about trying harder and doing more good and accomplishing more for Jesus. Bottom line is, is, we need to be more like Jesus, not do more for Jesus. Jesus can handle himself and what he has and what he needs to do. He invites us into the process, but he doesn't need us. He wants us. You see, Jesus became unworthy when he should have been counted worthy. He stayed silent amongst his accusers when he could have defended himself as we're going to celebrate this week and remember when he could have spoken up he stayed silent. He was unworthy so that you and I could be counted as worthy and righteous and in right standing before God. And that's what he offers us today. Not to try harder, not to do more as much as hard work is required but trust me, do you trust God? Are you ready for his return?